to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 25, verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and we'll get one to you. I'm so excited to see you all here this morning and see the uh, 8 o'clock turnout, the early morning group. Welcome to the front lines. This is a good thing. This is trailblazing stuff this morning. You, you may not have thought about this or realized this, but you prepare the way for those coming second service as well. As our hearts join together in worship and praise to the Father, calling out to Him and praying to Him and studying the Word, I believe, honestly, we open up wider portals through which God will continue to do His work here in this place today, but also in our lives. So thank you again for being here. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17. Moses says, Remember what Amalek did to you along the way when you came out from Egypt, how he met you along the way and attacked you. He attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear when you were faint and weary. And he did not fear God. Therefore it shall come about when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your surrounding enemies in the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You must not forget. Again, verses 17 and 18. Remember what Amalek did to you along the way. When you came out from Egypt, how he met you along the way and attacked among you all the stragglers at your rear when you were faint and weary, and he did not fear God. And at the end of verse 19, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek, Amalek from under heaven. You must not forget. Father, give us clarity of your words this morning. And I pray application, Lord, of the things that, that we're reading, the things that we'll see. I pray, Father, you will wake us up, not just physically in our hearts, but spiritually, Lord, may, may we be awakened to what's going on around us. May we see clearly, not, not have blinders on in this world, but Father, as those who would seek you and know what you want for us, desire to see you, Father, would you open wide our eyes, that in every situation we would have some understanding about what you're doing. And we would be able to fight and be strong in the Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to teach us this morning. Lead us through your word and into a greater understanding of you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, perhaps you've heard some of these axioms for retirees. Old doctors never die, they just lose their patience. You've heard that one? How about this one? Old bankers never die, they just lose interest. Okay, we'll keep going. Old cashiers never die. They just check out. <laughs> Old cleaning ladies never die. They just kick the bucket. Oh, okay, we're starting to get the moans early this morning. Old lawyers never die. They just lose their appeal. Old musicians never die. They just decompose. Old accountants never die. They just lose their figures. I like this one. Old ministers never die. They just go out to pastor. You've heard this one, I'm sure. Old teachers never die. They just lose their class. That's what my mom used to like to say a lot, especially as she approached retirement, teaching English all those years when I was growing up. Moses is an old teacher. Moses is an old teacher. Now, I don't know about you, but I had a couple of old teachers when I was in junior high and high school. A couple of old 
teachers who had that wonderful little thing called tenure. And they knew they didn't have to go anywhere they didn't want to go. And so they just enjoyed the fact that they could be an old teacher with tenure, and we had to suffer through that. And those classes were often the most boring and the most unenlightening. And yet, far from losing his class, here is Moses giving the last teaching of his life. And it's awesome. As a matter of fact, Moses started out not sure if he could even speak at all, if he could even teach. But look at where he's come. This is the same prophet who in Exodus 4.10 said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. He's not having any trouble now. You get into the book of Deuteronomy, 34 chapters of nothing but Moses preaching to the people. On the east side of the Jordan, getting them ready to go in. And he is at the top of his game. And he is speaking well. And he is teaching well. Old Moses never dies. He just gets better and better. Now eventually we're going to see Moses die at the very end of this book. And he'll be buried by none other than God. But this desert deliverer has learned a thing or two about the impact of the Word of God. I was sitting here thinking uh, during communion time, just kind of reminiscing a little bit and talking to the Lord about what He's done with the bridge in three years. And, and I have this to say to you, if you had told me three years ago that in three short years we'd have this many people involved and we would have to go to two services, I would have expected it. Not because we have the best worship team in town, not because we have the best pastor, although feel free to vote me on, you know, on the Anacortes American thing. That's big, no. Not because we have the right facility or the right strategies. Not because we sat down and worked it out for two or three years ahead of time to know where we were going. No, I expected on that first Sunday, January 11th, 2004, when a few of us gathered in this barn, 60 people to be exact, these two walls were not broken out. In fact, the walls were there, so it was a much more narrow barn. The, the worship team and the preaching happened over here, and the church was set up along this side. There were bales of hay that ran along this back wall, and it was cold that Sunday morning. We didn't have a big turbo heater like we've got outside that we have to turn off just to help it cool down. There it goes. I planned that. We had little, three little space heaters. And people showed up early for church so they could get a seat by the little space heater. <laughs> and I remember that so vividly. And yet, I absolutely expected the Lord to do great things. I didn't know what that would look like. But if you had shown me a picture then of what He's doing now, I would have said, of course. Now why? Because the Bible tells us, God says Himself, My word will not come back empty. If you will teach the word, and I heard this over and over from close friends, from the Lord, teach the word, teach the word, teach. if you'll teach the word, I will do great things. This is what God does because His word is so much greater than our words. It is His word that we enter into this morning. Moses understood that. There's, a, there's an old adage that Moses understood very well when it comes to teaching, and that is this, repetition is the mother of learning. The more you hear it again and again and again, the more it gets in. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said the primary task of teaching is not so much to reveal as it is to remind. To bring to memory those things that we know. And, and you know what that's like. Coming into church in and out on a weekly basis, you get reminded of things. So much of the time when we study the Bible, we run across something, we share it together, and the reaction is, oh yeah, oh yeah. 
I mean, there are, there are those few times where we go, wow, I didn't know that. But a lot of the time, we're just going, oh, yeah. And it's encouraging. It's the reminding of the scriptures. That's why we teach through. That's why we take the time to go verse by verse by verse, working our way through the word. Peter said this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. He said, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way, Peter says, of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. He knows he's about to die. Peter is. Just like Moses knew he was about to die. And so what Moses does and what Peter did is stir up by way of reminder. Let's go back over this one more time. I want to make sure you've got it. I want to make sure it's in and in deep and in firm and solid. Peter said in 2 Peter 1.15, I will also be diligent at any time after my departure that you will be able to call these things to mind. And that's what Moses is doing. And so this morning, as we listen in on this wonderful sermon, this eloquent speech of Moses on the east side of the promised land, as he reiterates, repeats, and reviews, there are two things you've got to get today. Two simple words. If you remember these two words, you will get what we're talking about, and you'll have some tools against the enemy, powerful tools. The two words are very simply, verse 17 says, remember, and verse 19 says, forget. Remember and forget. Now, if you will remember and forget this morning, wait a minute, how does that work? How do I remember, Lord, and forget? Moses says you're supposed to remember and forget Amalek. Did you catch that in the reading? Remember what Amalek did, verse 17. And then at the end of verse 19, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek. <laughs> How do we do that? How do I remember and forget? Remember what Amalek did, Moses says. Amalek. The Amalekites, the sworn enemy of the children of Israel. Amalek was the son of Esau. Going all the way back to Jacob and Esau, Amalek was son of Esau with Esau's concubine, a woman named Timnah. And the Amalekites were a cowardly clan of terrorists. In fact, in our day and age, we would understand very well the methods and the methodology of the Amalekites because we've seen it at work with Al-Qaeda. We have seen it at work with Hezbollah. We've seen it at work with Hamas and other terrorist organizations in the world. That's what the Amalekites were like. Terrorists. They fought dirty. They didn't fight face to face or man to man. They didn't meet you on the battlefield like cowards and scavengers. They attacked the stragglers, the faint, and the weary. They came in the back of the pack. Remember what Amalek did. Remember the Amalekites. In Exodus chapter 17, and we're going to look at that in just a few moments, there was a massive and decisive battle between the Amalekites and the people of Israel, led by Joshua. And at the end of that battle, the Lord declared the following to Moses, Exodus 17 verse 14, Write this in a book as a memorial, and recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar there and named it the Lord's my banner and he said the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation so remember to forget Amalek remember to forget Amalek still a little confused? let's go further into this what does this mean? after all Amalek is mentioned in the scriptures some 24 times how do we forget him? 
Two things I want you to encourage this morning. Again, remember and forget. Number one, remember the tactics of Amalek. Remember the tactics of Amalek. It was important that the Lord tell Moses, and Moses tell the children of Israel, do not forget what Amalek did. And worry about the person Amalek. We'll forget him. We'll talk about that in a minute. But remember the tactics of Amalek. The way that he worked. The way that he functioned. Why is that important for us today? Why should we care about the Amalekites who have long since been wiped out? They don't exist as a people. What's the impact for us? Gang, I'm telling you this one reason this morning. Because Amalek is a telling representative of our adversary, Satan. Who is a terrorist. It's how Satan functions. The tactics of Amalek tell us something of the tactics of Satan and how he works in our lives in this world. You might say, okay, Satan. Some of you might say, is he really real? I mean, come on. This is, this is the year 2006, right? Satan, is he more just a caricature of sin? More and more in the church, and it concerns me greatly, I'm hearing pastors preach about evil as a force, not as a person. I'm hearing people in liberal theology deny the person of Satan. And yet, I think the Bible's pretty clear that Satan is not just some vague, generic, dark side of the force. What does Jesus say? Mark 4, 15, he said, Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown. In John 8, 44, Jesus describes him and he says, He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. That doesn't sound like a force to me. Jesus was very clear. Satan, the devil, is an entity, is real, is a person, and Peter says in 1 Peter 5.8, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And let me tell you something sobering about our Amalek, Satan, our enemy. He hates the Bridge Christian Fellowship. He hates us. He hates the Gilmore family for ever allowing something like this to happen in this barn. He hates you. He hates me. He hates anyone who will stand up and be counted among the people of the Lord. He hates when you speak the name of Jesus. He hates when you move forward with your eyes fixed on the promised land, looking forward to heaven and Jesus coming. He hates the enthusiasm that got you out of bed this morning, some at four, five, six, just to be here. He hates that. But Peter tells us something about Satan we need to understand. The way that he functions, he prowls around like a roaring lion. And that is telling. Because a lion gang only has to run as fast as the slowest gazelle. That, that's lion mentality. Don't work any harder than you have to. You don't go for the front of the pack. Those who are out front leading who are running fast. You get the stragglers, maybe the weak, those who are in the back, the little ones. The ones who can't get away. Don't expend the extra energy if you don't have to. The roaring lion, that is Satan's attitude. He tends to attack at the back, which tells us a couple of things. One, the safest place to be in your spiritual walk, if you truly want to combat Satan and be safe from him and his attempts to to tempt you and to draw you away from the Lord, the safest place to be is front and center. Front and center, not at the back. The safest place to be is right up front, involved in worship, engaged in prayer, committed.
committed to the study of the word, called to service, connected in fellowship, vigilant in taking the power of the gospel message to people who right now don't know Jesus and will go to hell. That's the place to be. By the way, that's the most exciting place in the Christian walk. If there are any of you who, this morning who are saying, oh, my Christianity is kind of boring me. Church is just, oh, I do it because I remember my parents took me growing up and I kind of have this twinge of guilt if I don't go at least once a year. I'll show up because, I, just in case this is all true, I want to make sure I got my points. And, you know, this attitude, gang, the safest place to be is front and center, and the center and not center, center. And the most dangerous place to be is at the back, straggling along. That's when Amalek attacks. That's when he comes after you. Let me give you two surprising examples. Two of the greatest leaders that we read about in Scripture, who at one point in their lives were straggling. The first one was one of the most godly men in all of the Bible. A great warrior. He fought lions, he fought bears, he fought giants and hostile enemies of Israel all of his life. And then as a king, he decided to settle down. And I don't know if you've heard this old adage, but old kings never die. They just get thrown away. Thrown away. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 11. You wonder where all these painful jokes come from. There's a wonderful little thing called the internet that is a blessing to pastors the world over when it comes to bad jokes. 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 1. Watch this. It happened in the spring. At the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. There were two specific times in the year that they would fight, or, or specific seasons set, a, set aside for fighting in biblical days. And it was from the spring to the, about the middle of summer. Because that's when the land was dry. That's when the fighting could actually take place. But they didn't have the technology we have now in those days, and so they had to fight when they could fight. And so spring was when the kings went out to war. But this particular year, David sent Joab instead. He was a little weary, a little tired, so he stayed back. You can almost hear the background music as you read verse 1. You can hear it kind of swelling, like the beginning of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. There's little Frodo running along, and it's very happy. And you hear the flutes playing and the violins. It's like, oh, this is a nice place to be. And you hear, it happened in the spring. At the time when kings go out to battle. And then at the end of the verse, but David stayed at Jerusalem. <laughs> there is a danger in this. Something is not right. This king is not going out to do what he's always done, to fight. He's going to stay home. Watch this, verse 2. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. David, what are you doing? Why didn't you just go out and fight? Had David been doing what he had done in the past, leading the charge... 
He never would have been on the roof that day. He never would have seen Bathsheba and never would have committed this fatal, awful sin that would screw up his, his kingdom for the rest of his reign. And it did, badly. For the next 20 years or so, the rest of his life would be spent running and in fear, having family battles, his kingdom, his world would be in shambles. But here's what I want you to understand about David. He was not a young man when this happened, as may sometimes be portrayed in the movies. David was 50 years old when he stood up on his roof and saw Bathsheba. That should stun us. Because I always thought, as I grew up, especially a kid in church, that, that, that the older folks, the, you know, the people over 20, were the ones that had it together. I figured, man, when you hit 40, you're a rock-solid Christian. 50, you're, you're good to go. And 60, you just cruise right on up to heaven. Because you've learned all you have to learn. You have it down. And what I find, and I think you all will agree, is the older you get, the more challenging it becomes. It doesn't get easier. Thanks a lot, Rick. I'm real encouraged now. It doesn't. It gets harder. And there is a greater call and a greater challenge on our lives the older we get to connect and engage and be at the front of the battle. By the way, that's where we need the wisdom to be. Those of you who have learned through the hard knocks of life, that's where you need to be. That's why we have what's called elders. They're not called elders because they're whippersnappers. They are called elders because there's a certain degree of experience that has, has gone into life. A certain degree of, of having to make hard faith decisions that lead them to that place. Does that mean the elders have it all together? No. Which is why we have another little thing called accountability. It's important. Because as we grow older, gang, you might have said this. Hey, I've been walking with the Lord a long time. It's time to let some of the young bucks take the lead. I'm going to sit back and let them do the work I'm going to enjoy my play. I've already served teaching Sunday school to those little snot, I mean those cute little kids for years when I was a parent. Let someone else do it now. I've done my bit for king and country. I deserve a break today. So I'm going to get up and get away. I need some downtime. I need to pull back. I need some time off. And that is exactly what David thought. And may I just say this? That is a simply stupid strategy. That is the most foolish thing that we can do as Christians. Step back and say, I've done enough. It's time to stop. Someone else can take the job. Gang, Satan never takes a day off. He never sets back, relaxes. He doesn't wait for spring or summer when the kings go out to war. He is eyeing every opportunity to attack when we least expect it. And the ones he goes after are the slow gazelles, the tired gazelles, the weary gazelles. Those who are just, man, I'm having trouble keeping up. It's time to relax. We don't need time off, gang. We need time on our knees. We need time in the Word. We need time to stand up and fight strong. And fight stronger and firmer and more ferociously the older we get. Because Satan's watching for the stragglers. Men... I challenge you to be the warriors that God has called you to be. To stand and fight for the Lord. Not to grow weary at the age of 50 or 60 or 70, but to fight on. Let those not be the golden years, but the fiercest years of your life. I love the example of Caleb, and we've talked about Caleb before. But you go over to the book of Joshua. And where did Caleb want to settle in his retirement years? Among the giants. 
He wanted to settle among the giants and fight them off. And Caleb and his sons did in his older years. What a perfect example of the call to the heart of a man. Fight on. Women, stand strong. Fight in the Lord. Again, whether you're 50, 60, or 70, my grandmother Irene had a one-year Bible that sat on the side of her nightstand. And we bought for the whole family, and most of us made it through the first year. Or most of the first year. This would have been ten years later that after she died, we went into her room... She died in her sleep, in her bed one night. Went into her room and there on the nightstand was once again that same one year Bible. But it was worn to a frazzle. This same woman who had our, the daily bread, those little you know, magazines, were underlined and highlighted, sitting in stacks by her bed. Notes in her nightstand that she took from her nightly Bible studies. This woman fought on. And it was obvious where her heart was. Satan, like Amalek, attacks at the back of the pack. And you might say, okay, I understand that. I'm not actually straggling. I'm not falling back. I'm still following Jesus. I'm just taking it a little easier right now. I'm still strong in the Lord. But just because I'm taking a break for a season doesn't mean I'm not following Jesus. And that reminds me of our second example. Peter was a... A fisherman who said, I'm strong in the Lord. I'm a warrior for Jesus. And you might know this old adage, old fishermen never die. They just smell that way. (laughs) Peter said to Jesus in Matthew 26, verse 33, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you this very night before a rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing too. And we know what happened in Matthew 26, 31. Jesus predicted it. He said, You will all fall away because of me this night. Because it's written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. He quoted the prophet Zechariah from Zechariah 13.7. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And you know that's exactly what happened. Peter, Jesus was picked up there in the Garden of Gethsemane. What did the disciples do? These men who said, we will stand with you to death. They fled like frightened lambs. In fact, turning your Bibles to the book of Luke. Book of Luke chapter 22. Just a few verses on it. You need to see these with your own eyes. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. And so the shepherd was struck, the sheep scattered. But Peter, Peter was still following Jesus. Watch what happens. Luke 22, verse 54. Having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. How in the world is it possible that Peter could deny Jesus, who he just hours before, moments before, said, I'll follow you to death. I'll tell you how it's possible. He was following Jesus at a distance. He wasn't up front. He wasn't right next to Jesus, standing with him, saying, yes, I know this man. Yes, I'm one of his. If you're going to take him, you're going to have to go through me. He was following Jesus at a distance. And it tells us in verse 55 that after they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. Sitting among who? The enemy. 
Peter is warming his hands at the fires of the enemy. Gathered with him in the courtyard. Verse 56, a servant girl seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him said, This man was with him too. But he denied it saying, Woman, I do not know him. Number one. A little later, another saw him and said, You're one of them too. And Peter said, Man, I am not. Number two. And after about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And other versions tell us, or other gospel writers tell us, that he cursed. He cursed. And by the way, it wasn't just that he had foul language. He cursed knowing Christ. He cursed as in an oath. I do not know this man. I have nothing to do with him. And Luke tells us something incredibly passionate. Immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter, which broke Peter's heart. For Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a rooster crows, Today you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. He already had run away at Jesus' time of need, but now he's cold. He's feeling cold. Maybe you've been there. You've run away when you kind of knew that the Lord was calling you to something. Now you're feeling a little guilty about it. You're feeling a little cold. You need the heater to be turned on, so what do you do? (laughs) You gather around the fires of the enemy because you need something to give you a thrill. Something to reignite that, that spark that kind of is missing in your spiritual life. And there at the fire, Peter didn't just fall back. He literally denied Jesus. We sometimes will follow at a distance, warming our hands by the fire of the enemy. Enemy. Maybe it's a, a movie that you can kind of sit down and get a buzz from. Maybe it's a drink. <laughs> Maybe it's the internet, but you're warming your hands at the fire of the enemy, not thinking about what you're doing, and that is when the attack comes. That is the point at which Amalek, no, Satan, comes at you and attacks. Thank you, Spencer. Both the king and the fisherman, gang, two shining examples of godly men were attacked when they straggled at the back. That's when it happened. When they didn't expect it, they didn't see it coming. David's guard was down as he stayed behind. Peter's resistance worn thin by the hard events of the day. And both could very easily say, it's just not as easy as it used to be. Well, let me ask you this question. When did Jesus ever say it was supposed to get easier? When does the Bible ever declare that the further you walk in your faith, the easier the walk gets? Then eventually, just open up that lawn chair, sit out in the nice warm sunlight, and everything's groovy. The Bible doesn't talk about that. You know what I read in the Bible? I read vigilance. I hear Jesus saying, What I say, I say to all, Mark 13, 37, Be on the alert. Eyes open. Ready to go. At a moment's call. Now Jesus was talking, by the way, about his return. Be on the alert. Be ready. I'm coming. At any moment. Don't settle back. Don't get into that place where where his return will catch you by surprise. One of my passionate goals for the British Christian Fellowship is when Jesus calls, come up here, we're all like, yeah, we're ready. My bags are packed. I'm ready to hit the clouds. As opposed to a group of people who are going, did you hear something? Was that? 
Oh, I'm so comfortable out here today. Ready to go. Be on the alert. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16.13, Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. I like this. Act like men. In other words, grow up. Be strong. And let all that you do be done in love. Now you might say, how do I do that if I'm straggling behind, if I'm weary, if I'm already faint, as I know some are. I know this morning some of you are tired, and not just because you had to get up earlier. I know that life is wearing some of you thin. That the events around you are just, you're just tired. And you don't feel like you've got the strength How do we stand in those situations of life? Well, the first thing is remember the tactics of Amalek because it's in those places that Satan is most likely to attack. But the second thing this morning is forget the terrorism of Amalek. Remember the tactics. Forget the terrorism. What do you mean? Remember, that's what the Amalekites were. They were terrorists. And we're finally beginning to understand, I think, as a country, just a little bit, and I mean just a little bit, of what Israel has understood for the last 60 years. A small little country in the Middle East who has dealt with terrorism from the first day that they announced their independence. May 14, 1948, Israel declares independence. May 15, 1948, the day of independence, the war of independence began and they were attacked by five Arab countries. And they have been attacked unceasingly for the last 60 years. We saw what just happened this last summer with the the Lebanon crisis as Hezbollah was attacking from the border on the north and Hamas from Gaza on the south. And as all this was going on, we were saying, oh no, there's unrest in the Middle East. (laughs) Welcome to Israel. People who are going on the the Israel trip asking, are we still going to go? Hey, it's either now or it's like this every time. You're you're never going to find Israel in complete peace because they have dealt with terrorism constantly. And we're beginning to have to think that way as Americans. Never thought it would happen. We were so safe. We were so comfortable. And then the towers fell. And everything changed. Gang, I think about Israel when they first came into the promised land. Before they even had the land. And what happened? They had to start looking over their shoulder. Even as they journeyed. The Amalekites would attack and draw back. And they would lose some Israelites. And the Bible indicates that this happened not just once or twice, but several times as they journeyed from Egypt through the desert on up to the Promised Land. Over that period of 40 years, every now and then, out of nowhere, here come the Amalekites, terrorism. And so there must have been some Israelites who kind of learned to look over their shoulder in fear, in worry, in stress, and in strain at the possibility that maybe another attack would come and some Christians lived their lives just like that, waiting for the next attack. I'm in a place right now where, man, I just got over the last one. What's Satan going to do next? Oh no, oh no, he's at work, he's at work. Yes, he is. But greater is he who is with you than he who is in the world. Far greater. What people say that Satan's mighty. Okay, but God's almighty. And it makes me wonder, gang, the ability to stand against the arrows of Satan, is it not a question of faith? When we fear, and I'm talking about fear here. I'm not talking about alertness. I'm not talking about being aware of Satan's work here in the world. But when we fear him, when we shake in our boots, the question that immediately comes up is, where's your faith? Where is your faith? 
Because Paul says in Ephesians 6.16, Take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Let me just see a show of hands. How many here believe that God is able to save your life? That's pretty good. How many believe His will is going to fully be accomplished when it's all said and done? Still pretty good. How many of you believe that God is for you? How many believe that God's really going to protect you against the attacks of the evil one? (laughs) Maybe you're like the desperate father in Mark chapter 9 verse 24. Do you remember the story? The man brought his son to the apostles because his son was epileptic, in fact, demon-possessed. And he didn't know what to do with him. He had to keep watching him at all times because he'd fall into the fire or he'd fall into the water and he was either going to drown or get burned to death. And the father didn't know what to do. He's beside himself with worry and fear. So he brings his son to the apostles. And the apostles pray for him and nothing happens. Then Jesus comes up. And the man says, I brought my son to the apostles. And they couldn't do anything. And he says, if you can help me, please help me. And I love Jesus' response. If, if I can help you? And immediately the man cried out the prayer that should be on all of our lips. I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. God, I believe you're going to save me. I believe that I'm headed to heaven for all eternity. I just have trouble believing that the crisis I'm in right now, you're going to get me through. It's the immediate stuff that Paul is speaking about when he says, hold up the shield of faith. You trust a God who's going to save your life, trust Him to save your marriage. You trust a God who's going to save your life, trust Him to get you through tomorrow. Trust Him to save you financially, trust Him to save you physically, trust Him to do what He said He would do. The shield of faith. Now turn to Exodus 17. Let's go back to Amalek just for a moment before we finish this morning. Exodus 17. If you want a fearless faith, here's how it's developed right here. Exodus 17 and verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Quickly here, three ways to forget the terrorism of Amalek. Three ways to forget your fear. Verse 11. It came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. Such a cool picture. As long as Moses had his hands raised, Israel was advancing. But when his arms got tired, when his hands came down, Israel began to lose. And so it was kind of an up and down battle for a little while there until, well, let me say this. Number one, the first way to forget this terrorism and forget your fear, Satan is overwhelmed as we raise our hands like Moses in prayer. As our hands are lifted up in prayer, Satan becomes overwhelmed. Paul says, Ephesians 6.18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert, with all perseverance and petition for the saints. All prayer, all petition, at all times, for all the saints, Paul says. That's a lot of praying. Let's be warriors of prayer. Our hands held up like Moses. And you might say, but I'm not a very good prayer. I get distracted. I get into the prayer and the next thing I know I'm I'm working on the grocery list. 
Or, or I get into the prayer and the next thing you know, I'm thinking about what I need to do as far as getting the car fixed or the house repaired. I get distracted in prayer. Maybe what you need is some prayer support. Just like Moses needed. Verse 12, when his hands were heavy, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. And there's an amazing picture of this that happened just this week on the property. It's interesting. Barb came in Wednesday night, right before Bible study, and just said, I need you to pray. Because there's just some... There's some weird things going on here, and, and we're having, to, we're not sleeping well, and, and all of us are feeling just a, a stress, a, a strain. We're feeling like there's something going on spiritually right here on this property, which should be no surprise again, because we're about to start a second service, and God is doing more. And the higher that the Lord raises the bar at the bridge, the more Satan's going to rail against that. And so she said, we just need some prayer. And so absolutely, I said, we'll pray. And we prayed Wednesday night, and, and then on Thursday before rehearsal. Still, it was kind of a back and forth thing. You know, Barbara was saying, when I get together with, with Rod and the kids, we'd all pray. Okay, it, 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 things lifted, were better, but then it would start to get oppressive again. And so Jackie called up and she said, well, why don't we just meet over there and pray? Let's get a group, a group of us, right, before we have rehearsal on Thursday night. So we said, okay, let's meet over there about 5.30 or 6. So we all gathered there in the kitchen at the Gilmore's house. We began to pray together and talk about things. And to realize that maybe sometimes God's not immediately answering our prayer because He wants us to gather together and pray. Because He'd like to see a group of people drawn in. He is fully capable, is He not, Barb, of answering your prayer. Any one of us at any time can say, Lord, I have this situation going on in my life life, and I need your help. And then we wonder, why is He helping us? Because God has an agenda that's bigger than whether or not tomorrow's a good day for me. God's agenda in this case may very well have been I want more people praying and until more people are praying I'm not going to do anything I'm going to force you guys to get together and lift up holy hands together in prayer prayer support you need Aaron you need her you need them all together kind of a his and her approach to prayer his and her we'll see see how that goes over during the second service Gang, we have numerous prayer options at the bridge right now. And you don't even need a a, a scheduled time to get together with other people to pray. But there are numerous times where prayer is happening at the bridge. It happens here on Sunday morning. It happens in the women's Bible studies on Monday, or Tuesday I guess it is. It happens Monday night as well. It happens Thursday morning when a group of men gather early at 6 a.m. to pray. You can join in any of those times. You can gather together any time. We have prayer that happens right over here behind the piano every Sunday morning after worship. And you'll see little pockets of it. Gather together. Pray. Because as we raise our hands in prayer, Satan is overwhelmed. Number two, Satan is overwhelmed by the edge of the sword. Verse 13, Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And I still wonder when we're going to get this. I still wonder when we're going to understand the the efficacy and the effectiveness and the power gang of God's word and being in the word so that our lives will be strong. We miss this. We don't understand that sampling the delicacies of God's Word once a week on Sunday is simply not enough. And I'm going to keep saying that. It's not enough. If you're going to church once a week, if you're getting preaching, if you're getting some Bible teaching, if you're cracking the Word once a week, it is not enough. 
You will not overcome the enemy with the sword of the word if you don't know how to wield it better than that. The enemy gang cannot stand against this sword. Wednesday night we were talking about going through the Torah, getting close now to finishing Deuteronomy and studying these words. And Marianne asked a great question. She said, you know, I wonder about... How do we balance this? Because we know that we're saved by grace and yet we keep reading about the law. And I read the verse where Jesus says, hey, not one dot, not one iota is going to be taken from the law. Do you remember that? We talked about that last week. The Jesus version of the law is actually more exacting, more challenging than the Old Testament law. So Marianne was saying, how do I square that with grace? How do we walk in grace but be focused on keeping the law? What's the balance there? Gang, the balance is simply this. You are saved by grace and there is nothing you can do to increase that salvation or to make it more solid. Faith in the grace of God, that's what saves you, period. Done deal. So why spend any time in the Word at all? Because the more time you spend in the Word, the stronger your life will be. The more effective you're going to be for the Lord. Even studying the Old Testament? Absolutely. I am amazed. In fact, I'm going to show you something just absolutely bizarre. Turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter... 25. I'm sorry, not Exodus. I mean Exodus. Deuteronomy. Go to Deuteronomy 25. No, go to Deuteronomy 23. <laughs> this isn't in my notes, by the way. This is just a little freebie for you uh, first service people. Yeah, I think you'll appreciate this. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1. No one who is emasculated or has his male organ cut off shall enter into the assembly of the Lord. Excuse me? Why do we have to study something like that? What is the purpose of that? Now you can say, okay, historically, whatever. I mean, God's just saying reproduction is important. Exactly. And don't miss that. Reproduction is important to the Lord. What was important reproductively in Israel, God saying, no man comes into my assembly who is not able to reproduce. I believe he would apply the same thing to us spiritually today. I don't want people sitting in the assembly who literally have had their reproductive capability in the spirit cut off. I want you to be able to reproduce. I want you out there telling friends and family, the person who cut your hair, whoever it is, about Jesus Christ. Reproduce. That's what we've been called to do. In fact, going back to the very beginning of Scripture, that was the first command that man got. Be fruitful and multiply. That's why we're going to two services, by the way. I mentioned Wednesday night. It's not because we want more room to spread out and be comfortable. It's because we want to see reproduction happening. It's important to the Lord. Why do we study these things like the Old Testament laws? For that reason exactly, gang. We have been saved by grace. We're covered. We're secure in that. But there are so many who are not. And the more we are in this word, learning this word, studying this word, the more we will be equipped to bring salvation by the name of Jesus to other people. We'll back to Exodus 17 and finish this up. Again, I won't make you pay for that one. That was free. Exodus 17. As you're going back there, Psalm 119, verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. 
With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. The word, effectively wielding the word. And then finally, verse 14, watch this. That's the 17:14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar, and he named it, The Lord is my banner. Third thing, final thing. Satan is overwhelmed when the Lord is your banner. But understand this. The idea of having the Lord as my banner immediately assumes that I am at war. Because a banner is carried by one at war. It is borne by one who is engaged in the battle. Psalm 60 verse 4 says, You have given a banner to those who fear you, that it may be displayed because of the truth. And I think about that moment in the movie Glory. You may remember Glory, the the Matthew Broderick film where he played the part of Colonel Robert Goldshaw, who led the 54th Regiment, an all-black regiment, in battle in the Civil War. And as they went up against the Confederate Army at Fort Wagner, before this attack, which they knew was not only decisive, it was futile. Chances were every man in that company was going to die that day, and they knew it. And Robert Goldshaw, as commander, called out, Who will carry the banner? One of the black men stood up and took the flag. I'll carry the banner. And Shaw said, Who will carry the banner when this man falls? And another man raised his hand. And who will carry the banner when this man falls? Because the carrying of a banner signifies that you are at war. But before we get all melodramatic saying, I'm going to fall for the Lord. I'm going to sacrifice myself. Listen, the sacrifice has been done. And the banner that is above you is an amazing banner. The Lord is my banner. The name there is Jehovah Nisi. N-I-S-S-I, if you're writing it down, Jehovah Nisi, that is one of the names of the Lord. The Lord is my banner. Guess what? I don't carry a banner in the battle. He is my banner. He's got me covered completely. He's my protection. And so we can forget the terrorism of Satan. Forget the terror of Amalek. We have nothing to fear, everything to look forward to. Because that banner that covers us in the battle will be spread above the table at the feast when we are called home. Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 4, tells us He has brought me into His banquet hall. His banner over me is love. And Psalm 23, verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. And so the old teacher, Moses, says, You shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Don't worry about him. Forget to fear Amalek. But remember his tactics. Remember how he fights. Forget to fear Satan. You have nothing to be afraid of. He can't harm you eternally. But remember how he fights. Remember his tactics. We've reached a point, an interesting point of some stability at the bridge. A little over a couple hundred people. We're in a couple of services now. We've got a nice, folksy place to meet. <laughs> we have good friends and good music and plenty of opportunity to, to work on our sword play. And we have pretty safe religion, if you want it, at the bridge. And many would say, good, let's get back. Let's relax a little bit. 
My answer to you is we are not going to. We can't afford to. As long as there's a single hostage in the camp of the enemy, we can't afford to be those who kick back. I shared this a couple weeks ago, the, the term hostage, and, and a friend of mine picked up on it, was excited by it. Oh, I like that, that term hostage because I, I'm a hostage sometimes. And, and I looked at him and said, no, you're not. No, you're not. You are not a hostage of the enemy. A hostage of the enemy is someone who does not know Jesus Christ. Let's not play it on ourselves. Let's recognize that there are people who are lost and dying in this world who need Jesus. We could kick back a bit. But the Bible tells us in Exodus 17, 16, God says, I will be at war against Amalek through all the generations. And I believe there's an indication that he's talking about Satan there. I'm going to fight against him all the way to our dying day, to the very last day. The war will go on. God will fight. For those of you who are tired and weary, straggling at the back of the pack, I'll just read this final verse and we'll be done. Exodus chapter 40, verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Remember. Remember. And forget. Remember the tactics. Forget the terrorism. And let's stand and fight for the Lord. Father, we come before you this morning asking, Lord, your provision in this place. And Lord, not your provision so that we could grow fat, dumb, and happy. But your provision so that we could be mightily prepared to fight for those who have been taken. To stand for those who are lost. May we be, Father, among those who call out constantly the name of Jesus Christ in this area. Use us, Lord. If you're not a Christian this morning, as we pray, every week we, we invite you to pray to the Lord. We, we offer opportunities just to, to give your life to Jesus who died for you, that you could live. And if you want to become a Christian, it's so simple, it starts out with this simple prayer. Pray after me. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I confess my sin before you today. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe that you died on the cross and took my place to pay for my sins. And I believe that you rose again on the third day. And Lord, I I want to be your servant. I want you in my life. Would you please lead me from this day forward? And one last prayer for those of you who have been at the back of the pack. If you've been straggling, maybe you're weary, faint-hearted. Would you just join me in prayer? And say, Father, I need your strength. I need, I need your spirit. And I need to know that you're going to carry me. Because I am tired. And I don't know how to carry myself through the next day or the next. And so, Lord, would you be my banner? 
and be my strength. And draw me, Father, at least into the middle of the pack. A place where I can be safe and nurtured for a season. And protect me against the evil one. In Jesus' name, Amen.